This presentation is from UX Australia 2018, held in Melbourne. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. All right, thank you everyone for coming. I'm going to talk a little quickly because I did this talk and I was four minutes over last time, so I'm really going to speed through. So over the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of businesses come up with job descriptions for digital copywriters, and we're calling them UX writers. It's becoming a thing. And in that past couple of years, the job descriptions have asked for one thing. Well, they've asked for many things, but one thing specifically, journalism skills. And if you talk to UX writers at companies like Apple, Shopify, Spotify, uh, all the other big ones, they want people with journalism skills. Now, why is that? I think there's, be there's a massive crossover between the skills you learn as a journalist and the skills you use as a UX writer. And today, I want to talk about five of those skills that I think you can take away, whether you're a copywriter yourself, whether you're a designer writing copy, whether you're a product manager, really everyone here, this talk is for everyone. So who am I to be telling you this, first of all? So as uh, you just heard, my name is Patrick Stafford. I'm a digital copywriter at MYOB. What, what I really do is UX writing. I have experience at PwC, but my career began as a journalist. I was a journalist for six years at smartcompany.com.au, which is a small business publication. I've also written freelance journalism for publications like Rolling Stone, The Atlantic. I write features about video games for Polygon, so I've got experience uh, at that level as well. So, let's go on. First, I want to say this. I do have a content warning. This talk is not about how to write microcopy or other types of copy. You heard, just heard a really great presentation about that. I want to talk about something different. We're not going to talk about how to write. We're not going to talk about tips on the best words. We're not going to talk about easy ways to stick copy in design. This is about thinking. It's about changing your mental model for how you go about writing copy or how copywriters in your organization go about writing copy. So first principle, first principle out of five is that research is way more important than actually writing. When I was a journalist, I started two weeks before Lehman Brothers collapsed at a business publication, as a business journalist. It was a real baptism of fire. And what I quickly found was that I was up late at night reading articles about collateral debt and interest rates and all this stuff I had no idea about. And I said to my editor, I feel like I'm spending more time researching than actually writing. To which he said, duh, of course, that's what you're supposed to be doing. As a journalist, the work you do is everything before the writing. The writing actually doesn't take that long. Who's seen this movie? Raise your hand. Shame on the rest of you for not having seen it. This movie is amazing. It's my favorite movie of all time. It's called Almost Famous. It's about a 15-year-old kid who tricks Rolling Stone into letting him follow his favorite band on the road in order to write an article about them. The movie's great. He just goes on all these adventures and, yeah, just see it. But the really interesting thing about it is that he doesn't write the article until the last 10 minutes of the movie and he writes it in one night. And it's such a great representation of not only journalism, but UX writing. Because all the research should happen before you actually pen a word. But if you talk to UX writers, a lot of the time, they're not allowed to take part in the research, or they don't want to. So I think there are four real key reasons here. The first is that they're not allowed. The organization keeps research locked off in another, in another sphere. That's never good. So they don't have enough knowledge or time or willpower. Maybe they're too busy, they're focused on other things, they've got resource problems so they can't take part. Maybe there's no money to take part in research, that's very sad. And sometimes they just don't care. 
in which case that's a, that's a really big problem. Um, I don't know how else to describe it really. It's a really big problem if they're not gonna take part. But I'm gonna ask a question. How many people here in your organization have used testing with copy written by copywriters? Testing or prototypes? Okay, so few. How many of you have asked copywriters to create specific tasks to judge and test the copy, not just the visual, visuals? Right, so fewer. How many people have used uh, testing sessions just for copy and not visuals? Oh, actually, a few. More than I expected. That's really good. It's really good because if you're not doing those things, you're not taking the writers with, with you on a journey. And the more work you do at the start, the less you're gonna have to do in the actual writing phase. Because your writers have to know what story are they telling. If they don't have all of this information on the screen, case studies, personas, testing, telemetry, they are not going to be able to write copy that's informed. So, to sum up for the first point, first point of five, you need to get your UX writing, writers creating copy for your prototypes and your wireframes. They need to be doing that at the start, not just CTAs and headlines. They need to be doing everything because you'll be able to find out more than if you had just done the bare minimum or God forbid, lorem ipsum. Ugh. Get your writers involved in sketching. They'll say, I can't sketch, I'm a writer. Get them involved in it anyway because they are going to bring content-led design ideas that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. And then thirdly, hold dedicated user testing just for copy. There are great ways to do this. Ask me later about them. I don't have time to go into them now, but there are really great methods to do that. Second principle of five, you need to create an editorial culture. Back again to my journalism days, when I was a young rookie right out of uni, I would stand behind my editor and he would look at my stories and he would edit them in front of me. And he would say, why did you use that word? Why did you use that phrase? Why couldn't you say that instead of that? Like, and at the start it was really confronting because I was quite nervous and he would get to the end of the story and he would have changed 60 to 70% of it and I would feel distraught and he would turn around and say, great job. I think, what? Like, what? <laughs> you just changed my story. What are you talking about? But I had to learn that it was an editorial culture, that my words don't matter. What matter is the end product. And we need to cultivate that same culture in UX design as well. But here's the problem. We don't have enough of an editorial culture within organizations in order to provide feedback that matters. And so you come up with these four steps of UX audit editorial failure. The first step is that UX writers aren't submitting to other writers. They're not getting their work checked before it goes into design or prototype or whatever. The second is that if they are giving their work to be checked, it's being given to designers. And so they're giving visually oriented feedback and not copy specific feedback. And so they get things like this. Uh, this, this copy is too long. Well, that's not really enough. That's a visual critique, it's not a copy critique. And number three, the expression of the critique is sloppy. This happens a lot with people who aren't, who aren't in the, the copy world. They're not really steeped in editorial. I got a piece of feedback from a client recently and he sent a quick email and he said, Patrick, this doesn't read well. And I spent the morning going, oh my God, what, what have I done? What's wrong with it? But then later on he caught up and he goes, oh, actually, we gave you the brief wrong. We, we, our, our expectations were wrong. 
Unfortunately, this happens a lot with people who aren't able to, to speak the language of copy critique. They're giving vague feedback and it's not giving your copywriters anything to work with. In that absence, the tone of voice becomes the fallback. People will say, oh, that's not adhering to tone of voice or this isn't in the tone of voice. But if they don't have the, the knowledge and the skills to give that critique, it's just noise. So, the second point, what I'd say is don't hire people precious about their words. You really need people who have thick skins and who don't care that they're gonna be changed. Journalists are really great for this. Drafts, so many drafts. What I love to do with my wireframes and prototypes, I will literally write 100 headlines. They will all be terrible, but by the time you get to the 100th or the 101st, you're actually cranking out stuff that can be useful. The third is that, and this is for everyone here, no matter whether you're a designer, copywriter, product manager, whoever, CEO, be informed about the critique you are qualified to give. If you do not understand how to give copy feedback, don't comment on specific words. Don't talk about changing sentence structure unless you're confident that's what the problem is. Instead, try and stick to things about feelings. Like, this copy doesn't make me feel happy. This, com this copy doesn't make me feel like I would want to check out. That's perfect. Give that to the copywriter. They can go away and figure out why but don't delve deep into the, into the feedback if you're not qualified to give it. And finally, if you do have a number of writers in your organization, get them together, create a community of practice, share each other's work, and check it before it's submitted to create that editorial culture. This is my favorite point. Length is less important than clarity. Did you know that some of the most, the most popular content on the web is over 20 minutes long on YouTube, it's eight to 10,000 words long on journalism sites. And yet we have this bias that everything needs to be short and snappy and it needs to be only a few words long. That's fine for some instances. And in fact, it's a really good principle, but it's not right all the time. Here we go. So as with other areas of user experience, content has to survive a cost-benefit analysis on the part of users. They're gonna look at a page and they're gonna decide, what am I giving up for reading all of this copy? Is it legible? Is it readable? Is it concise? What's the cost I'm giving here? Unfortunately, we tend to err towards the side of caution and we say, well, if it's too long, they're just not gonna read. There's some truth to that. We know that users only really read about a third of words on a page, and so we would need to be guided by that. But just because they don't read it doesn't mean it shouldn't be written. It just needs to be structured in a way that enables them to get through the copy quickly enough so that it's not annoying. If you're only using short copy in everything, you are squeezing out the opportunity to flex your tone of voice. And that's the problem, unfortunately, with a lot of the common copy critiques we find or copy advice online. What you'll find is that always make things sh short and snappy. But then why bother having a tone of voice? You're just squeezing it out. Long copy can do so much more. It can answer objections, it can tell a story, it can establish tone. If your user is really looking for detail, then, then that's not the time to be short and snappy. If you look at this example from Apple, this is five lines long, it's six sentences long. I have worked with so many visual designers who would have said, no, nah, sorry, five, five lines, too much, don't use it. But Apple is able to flex their brand and their tone of voice to make this work. Now, of course, the objection to that is, Patrick, that's Apple. I'm not Apple, I can't do that. But that's the point. You need to lean into your brand. You need to understand how to use copy in a way where that cost-benefits analysis 
does end up in a positive way for the user. You need to structure it in a way and, make, and just think to yourself, well, if I just make this a little longer here, is it really gonna make things bad? If it's two lines longer, does it really matter? It might, it might not. Just have that conversation and don't defer just to, oh, it needs to be short because it's copy. So, cost benefits analysis. Always think about that more than your paragraph or sentence length and make sure it's structured properly. Start thinking with content-led design. You need to get, as I said before, you need to get your writers sketching, and that means writers, you need to be aware of your development restrictions. If you're using component-led design, you need to be aware of the components in your arsenal so that you can give informed feedback to designers and whoever else. And think creatively within the realm of legibility. I can't stress this enough, and I'm gonna talk about this more in a minute. We tend to think everything needs to be legible. So, you, you go to a page and you think the headline needs to say exactly what the page is. There's room to flex with that. I'm gonna talk about that now. Piss off your sources. As a journalist, I would have heaps of sources and they would call me up and they would say, oh, you need to know about this or your audience needs to know about this. It's why I can tell you everything about Division 7A tax law. Don't ask me about it. But that's the point. You have sources who give you information. As writers, we have sources too. We have users, we have stakeholders, we have analytics, we have product usage. You need to be funneling that in to your copy before you write it. Again, it's part of the research journey. But here's the point. Your sources are not the be all and end all and you can deny them ownership over what you do. So, recently at MYOB, we created this page. It's a category page telling people about online accounting software. How does it work? Why does it benefit me and so on? In user testing, we found that people didn't necessarily want to be confused about, well, they didn't, of course they didn't want to be confused, they wanted to know exactly what was on the top of the page, where they were, what they were going to find. They wanted, to, they wanted a really explicit headline. I took that information and I thought, you know what? No, I'm going to deny you that ownership because I want to try something. I want to hit you with this headline instead, I want to hit you in the heart, the emotion of why you're here, and then you can figure out the rest later. And you know what? It worked. This is one of the most successful pages on our site. It's got bounce rates in the low single digits. It just works. And it works because we took that chance in order to write that headline. So use your sources, treat them well. That includes internal stakeholders. They have everything to give you. Beware writers who don't think about them. If they're just walled off and they're just doing the copy and they're not looking at those sources, beware, they need to get steeped in this stuff. But don't be afraid to annoy them. Remember, you are not going to get results if you don't take chances, especially in A-B testing your copy. You are not gonna get results unless they're two drastically different options, and sometimes that means you're gonna have to annoy someone, whether that's an internal stakeholder, whether it's data, in which case they have no emotion, who cares, but you just need to be aware of it. Also, your sources can lie. I couldn't go without saying fake news, but I think this is a really important point. If you're looking at the results of an A-B test, it's only telling you one thing. It's not telling you not to do something. It's just giving you a piece of information that you can use. Finally, last point, you need to be an expert. There's a reason journalists are specialized, uh, work in specialized fields. There's a reason why they put them in beats or rounds. It's so they can get steeped in that particular topic and know everything there is to know about it. As UX writers, we need to know everything about our product or service. There's sometimes there's a tendency to say, I don't need to know about that, it's in the weeds, it's too much information. No, no, 
You need to know everything you can about the product or service so you can write about it. One of my old editors used to say that you know you're ready to write a story when you start thinking that your word count is way too little. And that's what I'd say to UX writers as well. Once you start thinking, there's no way I can put all this information in this design, that's probably when you're ready to start writing about it. And that's all. Any questions? Great Hi. talk. Thank you. Um, the example you gave about Myob and, mm -hmm. and the headline you, you you gave and you're sort of experimenting and going with the emotive yeah. uh, side of things. Um, you know, when I'm looking at that through an accessibility lens mm -hmm. and people are relying on headings mm -hmm. to orient themselves and understand where they are, do you feel like you're sort of skewing away from that sort of information providing aspect of the heading yeah. as, as summarizing, you know, what's this page about yeah. when you're it going for a bit of a, a sell? Yeah, it needs to be a balance for sure. And that's where I think your, uh, your extra headlines come in. So you've got an H1 and an H2. Uh, I think your H2 can do a, really a lot of work there or even just a little bit further down the page, we have another H1 that's really bold and that's where we say online accounting software, this is what you're here to find. But I think just in that initial H1, I think just to grab them, it's worth experimenting with. But yeah, absolutely. You can't just rely on that specifically. You do need to have that anchor text saying you're, you're in the right place. So for sure, you can't just discount it. Thanks, Patrick. Hi. Great, great talk and Thanks. well done on keeping it within the time. <laughs> Cheers. Um, I was wondering, you mentioned that we need to at least employ people or try to be more qualified in giving editorial feedback so we don't fall yeah. back on this tone of voice point. Do you have yeah. any tips or tricks so that we can at least upskill ourselves in this area? Yeah, sure. So the first is that I would say, number one, you need to create a style guide for your organization. And I don't necessarily think that needs to be done in-house. I think you can bring someone else in to do it. And that could mean that that just gives you a bit more of a framework to think about because that rather than a style guide, which is much more of a, a, an overview, excuse me, much more than a tone of voice document, which can be more of an overview. Style guide can give you much more specific information. You know, we use this, we don't use this, we use that, we don't use that. Um, and that can certainly help you. Uh, the other I would say is that there are really great books that your team could read to just give you that start. The first I would recommend is The Elements of Style. And I think that's a, just a really great guidebook just in how to write in general. Um, it's by Strunk and White forgotten the first names, but it, it's really popular. If you just put it into Amazon, that'll be the first one. I would say, yeah, creating a specific style guide with really clear examples and then read it, get everyone in your organization to read that book, um, you, you'll be well on your way. And I'm happy to talk about more things you can do later on. Excuse me. Um, just a quick question about um, moving people who are coming from an advertising copywriting background or a journalism background. Yeah. Um, who obviously the, the examples you, you um, relayed there were about more about the persuasive sort of content. Yeah. But and I'm sure MYAB has a lot of help content, so a lot of support yeah. content. Absolutely. How do you get writers who are, are moving into web writing uh, for a product or a service? How do you get them out of that mindset of selling and telling into a more showing and helping? Send them to a UX course. 
I'm not even joking, like for real, send them to a UX course, even just uh, one week. It was really great for me moving from journalism to PwC where I worked in the digital consultancy because I got exposure to a lot of UX elements that I otherwise wouldn't have had. And I think as a UX writer, you, you really need that UX experience. We've got a lot of copywriters moving in and they're calling themselves UX writers and they don't have that experience. Um, so yeah, even, even if it's just, I don't know, like a five-week thing or, or a one-night one thing. I, I think getting that grounding will really help. Do we have time? We can do one more. One more? Just about seeing you in my Over peripheral here. vision there. No, no worries. Hi, great talk. And Thank as an ex-journalist myself, I can totally relate. Excellent. My question is, how do you wrestle control away from brand and or marketing? My domineering personality. <laughs> <laughs> For those of us without that domineering yeah, no, I'm personality. Just, that, that's a facetious answer. Um, I think number one is time in the organization. So I think that's one thing that can take care of itself. Uh, the second would be letting them understand that, oh, the second is hard data. So I think A-B testing really does a lot here. So if you have actual data that you can show them and say this works and this doesn't work, or even just user testing results, that's gonna be a big point in your favor because you can say, well, anything could be subjective. We wanna move away from subjective conversations and to more data-led conversations. And, and so I would say, do that copy dedicated testing, do your A-B testing, and those results can really help a lot in getting people to persuade. I mean, that category page, like I had people come back to me and say, no, we can't do this. But once you show them the results, like you really can't argue with that. So that's what I'd say for that. Brilliant. That's all we've got time for. Thank you very much, Patrick. Thanks, everyone. So Thank you for listening to this presentation from UX Australia 2018. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.